HHW presents Who Reads the Watchmen? Issue number eight by the Legion of Dudes. Oh no, here they come now! Quick, go and set your turkey free. I'll try to stall them. Banded together from remote galaxies are the most sinister villains of all time. The Legion of What kind of a Thanksgiving dinner is this? Where's the turkey, Chuck? Don't you know anything about Thanksgiving dinners? Where's the mashed potatoes? Where's the cranberry sauce? Where's the pumpkin pie? Dedicated to a single objective, the conquest of the universe. I'm going to have a leg. Anybody else want a leg? No legs for me. You can never tell where a bird's been walking. <laughs> it's the Legion of Dudes podcast. Here's the dudes. It's four minutes to midnight. Welcome to a half hour wasted presents Who Reads the Watchman? Issue number eight. Hey guys, this is Adam Umack alongside the Legion of Dudes, and thanks for joining us for our spoiler filled roundtable discussion of Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons' epic comic classic. Um, we are joined tonight by everybody from John all the way to Dan. Why don't you guys sound off? This is John. This is Adam. This is Ken. This is Russell Latham. This is Dan. And I'm Jim Dietz. We have a full crew tonight. A number of things to uh, discuss today, including our discussion topic, which is about the Watchmen trailers. Um, if you like what we are laying down here, check us out at thecomicforums.com under the Half Hour Wasted forum. And um, Russ, let's talk about trailers, and not the RV kind. All right. Well, I guess it was last week um, Yahoo put out an exclusive on the, the full Watchmen trailer um, as opposed to the teaser we saw last time. And I, I tell you, I've seen it. I've, I've watched it probably three or four times. And the first time I watched it, I was a little, I, I don't know, it didn't give me the right vibe. But every since then, every time I watch it, it, it seems to, to get better and better and better. Um, and I like more and more what I'm seeing. Um, I figure... We can start off today, just kind of go around the horn and everybody kind of give their first impressions of what they thought when they saw it, and then we can talk about specifics. So, John, what did you think? I liked it. I think they're going out of their way to show us some shot-for-shot scenes that are, that are going to be the same in the book, in other words. So I definitely think they're reaching out to the, you know, quote, fanboy community and saying, look, you know, we're, we're going to do a lot of things to make it look exactly like the book. And I'm sure there won't be too many of those moments in the movie, uh, but they're definitely they definitely stuck them in the trailer to give us the you know that warm fuzzy feeling that we're gonna be close to the source material here. So I, I enjoyed it all in all. I uh, I felt the same way you did, Russ. I uh, I wasn't blown away the first time I saw it. I I've also since rewatched and felt a little bit better about it. I don't, I think I was so blown away by the first trailer. Being so, or the teaser trailer being so action packed. I, I don't know. I, it just doesn't feel. I think it, uh, a good trailer gets you psyched and it's exciting. It's action packed, and I just didn't feel like that's what it was. Jim. Well, a few things I noticed about it. First of all, it was the first time we got to hear Doctor Manhattan speak. Uh, hear the voice of Doctor Manhattan. You know, as it's going to be in the um, in the movie. Also, I noticed, and, and Adam brought this up on the forums, that they refer to themselves as the Watchmen, which isn't in the book at all. They were, I think the group is called the Minutemen. 
but there there's the one group shot of them in the trailer. There's Rorschach, the second generation Night Owl, uh, Ozymandias, the comedian, and the Silk Spectre. And it, it seems like they were for themselves as the Watchmen. If you look at the roll call sheet on Internet Movie Database, um, obviously Silk Spectre's cast, obviously Hollis Mason's cast, but Captain Metropolis has also been cast. So when they're getting together the organization of the Crime Busters, which is the second generation after, excuse me, the next generation after um, the Minutemen, there's that group, but correct me if I'm wrong, but the Crime Busters pretty much fizzled when the comedian burned the map down. So I almost want to say that this is kind of like a third team. It's almost like they've taken everyone that's in the book and made a team out of them, even though that wasn't necessarily... No, I, I, I didn't get that at all. I think they just simply, for the the ease of um, the non-comic reader to, to kind of get it, they just are going to substitute... Watchmen for Watchmen for Crime Busters, just to to give people like, well, I came and see a movie called The Watchmen. You know, who are the Crime Busters? Who are the Minutemen? It's just a, a simple substitution. I have absolutely no problem with it at all. I don't think it impacts any of the major points of the story to have them call themselves the Watchmen at all. I mean, this is kind of a big change. I mean, the only the, the whole point of Watchmen is that it's like that it's unseen. Well, we also see the blast in uh, Times Square, and it is not. Uh, what happens in the in the comic at all? If that is the uh, you know the event uh, that that they're referring to in the trailer, you know, the, it would have uh, to the be the giant explosion. I mean, yeah, it's the only one that would, that really happens. Also, um, if I'd like to, I'd like to bring up the uh, issue of Ozymandias having nipples on his suit. Does that bother you guys? It kind of reminds me of that old Batman and Robin. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I really missed that Schumacher. Yeah, I haven't looked at the trailer that closely. I miss that. <laughs> it, it bothers me in a very special kind of way. <laughs> That's a totally different podcast, Dan. Yeah, maybe maybe they're, just, they're just there to help him get out of tickets. But I agree with Ken. I mean, calling having that uh, meeting and having them call themselves the Watchmen does streamline you know the story. I mean, they have to make this movie appeal to a lot of people who have never read the book, who have only ever seen the trailer, you know, before another movie, and to more you know a more of a mainstream audience. I mean, if they bring in everybody that that uh, you know has read the the graphic novel, that's only going to be like you know thirty million, forty million. You know, and that's a generous you know number of ticket sales. But if they they want this to be big, like three hundred big, like over two hundred million gross. They have to try to uh, appeal to the masses a little bit. And I could totally see them doing that by having them call themselves the Watchmen. It really doesn't bother me either. It's funny how I pulled out what was the same as the book, and you guys pulled out what was different from the book. So maybe that's what they're going for in the trailer, like a balance between the comic book fans and you know the new movie fans that are going to be going. Yeah, I think that's that's pretty fair. I mean, I, I'm I'm kind of in the camp too of it doesn't it doesn't bother me that they call themselves the Watchmen. Um, I, again, I think it's one of those to kind of bring it bring it back to the masses, and and you know, I, I, I take it as it's just a minor point. I don't I I haven't been put off by it. Let's put it that way. Dan, what'd you think? I liked it. Um, the the one thing I really liked about it was this is the first time. I don't know if it's the first time. It's been released. It's the first time I've seen it, but uh, you get to see Dan out of costume um, for like a couple of split seconds, and that kind of quelled my fears a little bit because I thought he was a little bit too, I guess, buff, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but older Dan, it seems like he's they kind of did that justice, which well, is good. When he's in that costume, which is, you know, not so much spandex but more of an armor, it's kind of it's misleading to see how fit he is or isn't. But even in reading this issue we're going to talk about today, 
just the way he's depicted since their adventures at the at the tenement, he's drawn standing up straighter, you know, chest a little broader. It's almost like his his physique. Not if his physique has changed, but the way he carries himself has changed. That he doesn't look the, the the dumpy middle-aged Dan Dryberg. He he even looks more the the fit, ready for action Dan Dryberg. So I think it's just more of a confidence level that gets portrayed. So we saw we finally saw in the trailer, as you described that 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 frumpy Dan, you know, before he gets back into the costume, uh, a switch went off with him in in issue seven, that uh, is going to carry forward. So I, I it, it, seeing him before more fit, more confident uh, in the costume doesn't bother me as much now, knowing more about where he's going to be going through. Yeah, that was one of the first things that stood out with me in watching the trailer is we finally got to see Dan in his older self looking more like we've seen him in the comic, which was you know, one of the things I think we talked about, the the teaser earlier, and that was one of the, the issues I had, is that it, it, it didn't seem to be portrayed as, as his you know, frumpy middle-aged self. And so seeing that, uh, it made me... Um, feel a little better about it and then Lori too you know the scene when you know she kind of when it it looks like when she's talking to to Dr. Manhattan about saving the world and you know I think she she says you know do it for me or because I'm asking you and she looks more mature her the way her hair is done and makeup and everything it it definitely they're they're doing a good job I think of showing the balance between older and younger pretty well one of the other things that stood out for me is we finally got a real good close-up of Rorschach's costume and I don't know. I don't know about you, and maybe you guys. Maybe it's just how it's been drawn in the comics. But it always seemed like that mask to me always seemed shiny, and the and the fluid um, almost like it was trapped like um, between two pieces of plastic. Well, I, th- I think the, it was described as it was vinyl. I think it was sealed yeah. between two pieces of vinyl, so it would have that shiny effect to it. But it is more like cloth in the trailer. Is that where you're going? I think. Yeah, yeah. It looks like a you know almost like a. a like a like a wheat sack or something, you know, like a uh, like a cloth sack or something that it was made out of, and that the 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 black you know changes shape, you know, almost like it's it's not like it it almost seems like it's not liquid stuck between two pieces of fabric. It almost seems like it's just it's like it's bleeding like it's bleeding between. through the fibers of the fabric. Right, 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 right. <clears throat> so I thought that was interesting. And then the uh, you know when we see Doctor Manhattan when he's at the TV studio and he just. You know, he, he yells out, you know, leave me alone. That was my favorite scene. Out. Yeah, and, it's, and they even, you know, he, he looks darker. I mean, they even did it to where his, you know, the face is a darker blue than, you know, we see him, you know, otherwise. The other thing, too, is I think we get a, we get a good look at the opening sequence, you know, where the, where, where the comedian is killed, and it, it definitely seems like that scene is drug out and more explicit than it was in the book. Um, just looking at the camera angles, they show a lot of, some of him being tossed, you know, across the room and stuff, and they show that from the outside, you know, looking in, you know, outside the glass looking in. And so it looks like, and, and based on the descriptions of the early footage that I've read online, it, it seems like that scene is, is, is drawn out a lot more than it was in the, in, the, in the comic. Plus he's scarred and stuff, too, from when he was in Vietnam, and um, we haven't seen that in any of the promo images yet, too, probably because they're trying to advertise the movie, not scare people away. Yeah, yeah, but uh, I think I think it, you know one of the things that did a good job of is getting people in on the story. You know, it, it, you know the first one I think was definitely a, a fanboy teaser. You know, ever you know just from looking at it, you can tell what's going on. And seeing this one, you get a little bit more of the story. You know what it's supposed to be about, which I think is going to help um, you know the non-reader 
you know, actually care about you know, going to see this movie. So, like I said, the, the subsequent watchings, uh, it, it, it definitely gets better and better on me. Cool deal. Anybody got anything yeah, else on the trailer? Wow, that Silk Spectre is one attractive young lady. Yeah, I would agree. The scene we see her in action is from the issue we're uh, going to be doing tonight, isn't it? I believe so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mentioned to you guys, I don't know if it was on the forum or an email, that uh, in that quick scene where they show Rorschach jumping out of the window, did you catch the Rum Runners sign? Yes. The skull and crossbones? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. Again, throwing something like that into the trailer, you know, I mean, I guess it was a good action scene that they might want to cut in anyway, but it seems like they almost went out of their way to say, look, you know, Rum Runners, skull and crossbones, you know, issue six, or whatever it was, seven. With the symmetry, six, right? Five. Whatever. (laughs) 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 All right, so I guess we'll start issue eight. And again, just like we've seen seven times prior, the the cover is is a blown up of of panel one. And in this case, we see a statue of Hollis Mason as Night Owl One in his prime um, standing there with his owl trinkets and pictures of the of the Minutemen and newspaper articles and all that kind of stuff laying around. The the cover and the the image in the first panel is like a uh, like a visual um, uh, um, metaphor for the golden age because you have the golden age night owl standing there literally golden as a statue and then behind him is the picture of the uh, the Minutemen and him retiring. So cool. I'm thinking it's like a, a visual um, you know tag to the golden age. I want to ask you, smart um, literature guys, why are they not showing me the faces of the people that are on the phone? I, I almost, for a second, the first time I read it, thought that it wasn't really Hollis, and they were trying to hide, like, who was making this phone call to her, just because, you know, he's never quite in frame. I think they just wanted to focus on the memories of what they're talking about, because, like, in the fourth panel, she's talking about Lori, my daughter, and there's a picture of... Oh, that's a TV. Never mind. So I don't know what I'm talking about. Oh, her costume's in the background, though. And yeah, well, yeah each show frame you. has a different thing. There's the golden statue in the first frame, the nostalgia perfume in the second, then the uh, the map of uh, attacking Afghanistan. I think that is in the background, which that's kind of on sets the television, it the, yeah. On the television, and then you have the um, almost the reverse smiley face in the uh, the receiver of the phone there, with the silk specter costume in the background. Then you have him looking at the picture. Then you have her looking at the same picture in right. panels five and six. So and then cool. we have close-ups on him looking at the picture of himself and her looking at the picture of herself as they're talking about the costumes and how they look younger than ever. So it's more about so, showing mean, you around the room rather than Right, plus, I mean, I mean, they could show them talking to each other, but I think this almost tells more about them. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, this, this page definitely, you know, Jimmy hit it on the head. That I, you know, what I was going to talk about was the layout of, the, of these panels, and that they alternate between between Hollis and Sally, and um, you know they both focus on the, the same, you know, the same things visually, but from the other perspective. Um, and that it, it's interesting when you when you're reading this, you never hear the other side of the conversation when you're on, you know, the one side. So when when the you know the panel is Hollis speaking, you never hear what what Sally is saying. And then when Sally's speaking, you never, you know, you never hear what Hollis is saying. You just kind of imply, you know, going backwards or going back and forth throughout the whole page. 
then, then we have at the bottom of page one the, the who watches the watchman that's obscured by you know, it's, it's, again we never see the the whole thing written out anywhere in the in the book and then the kids it's definitely Halloween see the kids out trick or treating right getting ready to trick or treat and again the you know when the book started the first page was Rorschach's journal. October 12th, and here we are, October 31st, so we're 19 days later. I think a point we brought up earlier, too, was that um, if you notice, none of the kids are dressed up like superheroes. They're dressed up like yeah. a pirate, a ghost, and a devil. I mean, in, in our world, I mean, kids dress up as Batman or whatever, but here, I guess, they aren't you know suitable for kids to dress up as. They aren't looked at as you know role models or something to aspire to. They're not in vogue, as it were. No, since seventy-seven, they're they're considered outlaws and vigilantes. And moving moving on to, to page two, it, it's interesting as as Sally and and Hollis continue their conversation. You know, we we folk, if you look at the second panel and the third panel, you focus on Dan or um, Hollis, who's surrounded by beer, cigarettes, an ashtray, and a lighter. And it, you know, the panel itself is very dark. You know, the, the contrast between the coloring. Throughout this conversation, and you know, with with Hollis and with with Sally, is Hollis, you know, everything's dark, and Sally, everything's bright and cheery and happy. But um, on page two, on that third panel, Sally's uh, panel, it's vitamins and you know, probably like beauty cream and you know all that. So you know, Hollis is just kind of you know, you, you can almost you know see it's kind of predict near you know foreshadowing. You know, Hollis is here at the end of his you know kind of at the end of his end of the line here yeah. and um, and Sally's still holding on and you know being optimistic and you know trying to live for the past and stay young that's why I love being on the show I just thought it was like you know he, he's on the east coast she's on the west coast he's watching like the 6 o'clock news so it's nighttime and it's still 3pm at in California so it's still daylight but you, <laughs> you come with all this deep stuff that's great <laughs> I think it's interesting too that that you know you can tell Hoss is in uh kind of dire straits he doesn't have any money they talk they're talking about that and she's kind of agreeing with him and everyone's feeling the pinch yet she has uh, a professional manicurist coming to her house to do her nails which I, isn't you know something when you're needing money that you're doing usually right well the whole the whole concept now of you know um you know Calling California is expensive. You know, nowadays it's all trivial. You know, long distance is kind of a thing of the past. And um, here we are. And you know, it's 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 easy to forget that. You know, back in 1985, long distance. You know, calling somebody long distance was a big deal. And and now we just kind of take it for granted. Now that you say that, it, it, you know, it's so obvious. She's in the she's in the garden. You know, rest resort, and there's flowers everywhere, and vitamins, and she's getting her pedicure and. And the opposite panels are like so dark, and the the dog, of course, reminded me of Rorschach. You know, the dog with the head split open. It's kind of like the yeah. same dog. <laughs> yeah. And there's just beer and cigarettes, and makes a lot of sense now. Then we move on to to page three, where we get again we get back on to the Black Freighter making its appearance. Um, panel on page three, we get the the Hiroshima lovers, as they're called. The um, the, the spray painted silhouette that's that's shown up on the building, and again we just get this parallel between you know what's being said on panel and what is going on in the black freighter. How they 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 complement each other very well. 
And on panel two, we get the uh, the pyramid pyramid delivery truck right in, in on panel two. And this is this is too where we find out that that Bernie or uh, I guess this, uh, Bernie realizes that uh, that guy that's been coming every day to get the the newspaper is has been Rorschach all this time. Right. So we see the parallel panel by panel with uh, the the Black Freighter narration and what's going on in the panel, um, especially where he's talking about the anniversary of his wife and they show the. You know, I remember saying goodbye from the Miranda Shadows, sunlight illuminating one cheekbone. And then the next, he's talking about the superhero craze and those glorious days. That in a sense, so it's the same kind of parallel we've been seeing with the, the pirate narration and what's going on in the story. That image on that sixth panel, that yellow. Where you see from beneath the the, the his little uh, raft or you know what, that he's floating on, you see that the, the body in the middle is just completely bloated and um, it's just, it, the the mouth is all wide open. The fish are swimming around. It's just a, a great image. It's just so almost zombie like. Then again on the on the bottom, when we flip back to the Black Freighter panel again, that that eighth panel, it's just blood red. You know again, you know. Higgins with the coloring is just it's just really captures the mood of what's going on on panel with this coloring. This uh, this whole page is also kind of syncing us back up to where we are on the timeline. If you remember back to I want to say was it issue six when uh, uh, Rorschach is and is being interviewed by the psychiatrist. These panels are t- are showing from the newsman's point of view the the psychiatrist showing up it's the first time here he's bragging about how Rorschach was a customer of his. You know, so this is early on in his his incarceration, uh, before the before the psychiatrist got a little too uh, wigged out. So again, it's just trying to sink us back up from where uh, Rorschach's story in six left uh, ended uh, to it's now where uh, Dan and Lori going to, ready to go go get him is, and eventually by the end we'll all be they'll all be together again. Right now, is that the psychiatrist in uh, panels uh, seven and nine? Picking up the paper. That's him. You see, you see him. Yeah, in, talks about, you yeah, see him in panel five in the background, approaching. Type. He's given the in in uh, seven, and then in nine, he's walking away. That's that's him. Yeah, because they mentioned in panel five that you know you see in the Gazette he attacks some other prisoner with hot fat. Yep. So that yeah, that's just what he. You know, so again, yeah. like Ken was saying. And here's like, and he's psychiatrist still still calling him Kovacs at this point. He hasn't conceded Rorschach yet. Yeah. He's almost yeah. correcting the newsman Kovacs. Oh yes, incredible. Thank you. And then we see in panel nine there, we see the radiation symbol again. That shows up there. You know, one of those other, you know, symbols like the triangle, like the, you know, smiley face, uh, circular, the clock, all that kind of stuff. So we see that again. Actually, it's on panel seven and panel nine that we see that. Moving on to page four. We see again where we, I think we saw this last issue too. Well, I think actually we've seen, like most things in this book, we've seen it several times, but we where we see the action moving through the first three panels there, but it's the same image. It's it's not three distinct images. It's it's one image broken up into three panels, and we kind of follow the action through it. Yeah, we'll see it again both on page four and five there. Yeah, the the third uh, the third image on that uh, in that group uh, is a really good example of what Ken was saying earlier about how Dan is uh, holding himself a lot differently. I think that's where you just really start to see it. Yeah, these are exactly the page. panels I was referring to. I was thinking of when I said yeah. that. Yeah, it's almost like he's you know sucking in his gut. He's standing tall. He's focused. He's 
you know, this is a different Dan Driver. Well, I mean, you even said, I mean, his father left his money. He hasn't worked. I mean, being, being a, a crime fighter, being the night owl is the only thing of substance that he's ever done. And now he's doing it again. And he, and he has confidence. He's in, he's in what he, uh, he's in his comfort zone. Yeah, he said to deny pretty much who he really is this whole time since the Keen Act. You know, the only thing that really made him special or made him feel whole is he had to d- deny himself. And now it seems like he's feeling it again. You know, he's going back to, he feels like, you know, it's comfortable. This is where I should be. This is what I should be doing. And, and, and Lori just kind of feels like, you know, hey, we're, you know, we're, we're young lovers. We should be, you know, tearing up the town instead of, you know, fooling around with this. And then, you know, you actually want me to go and break a homicidal maniac out of Sing Sing. And he doesn't even skip a beat. You know, he's, he's, he's in the zone. And this is, too, where it, it starts to come together. You know, we talk about, um, you know, wh- you know what's really going on and who's really behind all this, and, and here it is where it comes together. You know, he, he, Dan talks about um, the computer. You know, my computer list, most people, Nova Express mentioned, is employed by a research company called Dimensional Development. And then we find out that Janie Slater, Wally Weaver, and even Moloch all had jobs with this company called Dimensional Developments. And, of course, those are three that were outed as as having, you know, supposedly been given cancer by Dr. Manhattan. Yeah, we're also getting uh, connections of all the different uh, subsidiaries or corporations, the Institute for Extraspatial Studies, the Pyramid Deliveries. You know, eventually they're probably going to see that all lead up to, to Adrian. And, and you can see in that fourth panel that, you know, Dan's got it all, you know, visually mapped out on, you know, on his computer. You know, he's got all, he's, he's building all the links, you know, almost in, in a, Batman, a Batman-like fashion, you know, where he's, he's literally connecting the dots. Yeah, and Rorschach has the rest of the puzzle, and that's why they need to, he needs to get him, because he's been working this case a lot longer. And I'd also say, uh, like the question, too, with conspiracy theories. I was totally thinking about the back computer when this, during this scene, though, just this giant computer with a, you know, screen, just like the, uh, you know the the stereotypical back computer from the '60s and '70s. Yeah, or the, or the animated series even. Then moving on to to page five, you know, Lori talks about her her old patrol routes, which I thought was kind of interesting because it's it's you know again we get more clues as to what life was like for these guys when when they were actually doing their thing. Um, you know what her you know how she would you know go out on her patrol and and go back home to to John after it was done. And then you know one of the, the other thing you know you you see starting in page five is is the closeness between Dan and Lori. You know you know by panel three they've got their arms around each other, and then you know again throughout the rest of this page where he's he's become a lot more comfortable. You know again he's he's back in the zone of of who he wants to be and who he used to be, and he's not you know the you know the Dan driver that you know was kind of going through life one day the same as the next. Right, and this is also uh, the night the day the day after the tenement tenement incident and. Uh, the mess they left in the owl ship is still there from yeah. their from their evening among the clouds that middle panel at the pa- uh a page 5 uh at the bottom i think it's pretty cool that uh you don't actually see them but on the uh video monitor uh, at the top you see the movement that they have going um, moving into the owl ship yeah as they're moving through that middle panel they're walking around the owl ship yeah i see what you're saying Again, great page layout, great composition on on Gibbon's part to, to visualize what you know what we're seeing. And as we move to page six, we go back to the prison, and um, and we see that uh, 
that some of the, the inmates are, are wanting to pay Mr. Kovacs a visit. And they, they basically, it was interesting when I first read this, I kept, I, you know, I almost expected it to hit the fan at this point, you know, where, where they were, you know, coming after him. You know, the, the two big guys you see on panel, they threatened the guard, you know, basically, you know, with his wife and his, and his kids, you know, that if he doesn't, you know, go take a walk, that, you know, there might be some trouble for them. And I really thought that, that you know, they were going to start on Rorschach, you know, and start a big riot or fight right here. Um, but we find out that's not the case. Hey, uh, for any of you Seinfeld fans out there, does the name Danny Woodburn ring a bell? I'm pretty good with Seinfeld, but sadly it doesn't. Uh, Danny Woodburn's the guy who played Mickey on Seinfeld. Kramer. Oh, right, okay. Kramer's uh, friend, kind of like a, not not like, kind of like how Newman was his friend, you know. And yeah. uh, Mickey and Mickey was in a couple episodes of Seinfeld. Mickey's going to be playing uh, the part of big figure in Watchmen. Oh wow! Oh, okay. I know the guy. He wore the uh, the lifts. Yep. Yeah. yeah. He, was stand, he was to stand in for the ch- for the child actors. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, that's pretty funny. cool. But I love how, uh, you know, they show up and, and Rorschach is just, it, it's almost like when Gibbons drew this, he literally just drew one Rorschach and just copied it, you know, four times, you know, because he's just totally unfazed. You know, these guys come up and, you know, they're, they're you know, pretty much run the, you know, running the prison and he, he couldn't care less one way or the other. That's what's called, um, in comic art terms, that's what's called a stat shot. Um Dan, you have a Walking Dead page that uh, has a panel of uh, the governor that's a stat shot. And what the artist does is um, they'll, well, now they'll, of course, you know, scan and then print. But I'm sure they could photocopy and maybe uh, re-ink to some uh, extent uh, a a specific panel, or in this case, a part of a panel, and then uh, lay down on the page layout, actually lay down in glue, uh, the copied panel. So that would be less work. Um, pencil and ink wise for them and it's funny how it doesn't you know some sometimes i think when you see it 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 comes across as laziness and you know here that is totally not the case i mean it's definitely for a fact but you know i like it where you're talking to this little guy and and what does he say he says big figure and then the next thing he says a small world and uh you know so it's obviously he's he's making fun of them even though he's just kind of sitting there stoically so moving on to page seven this is where we finally get the uh the word that there's going to be a riot, uh, the whole place is going to is going to blow up, and um, that's when Rorschach is pretty much going to get his. So this is this whole visit was kind of a warning message to Rorschach to say it, you know, it ain't coming today, but it's going to be coming, and and you know, basically be ready for it. And again, he sits there at the bottom of seven, totally unfazed, um, couldn't care less. Do you guys think that you know part of it is? he really doesn't think they can beat him? Or do you think at this point he really doesn't care that if it's his time to go, you know, so be it and just let it let it happen? Or do you really, like I said, or do you really think that he just he just doesn't think that there's there's any way they're going get, to get the better of him? Yeah, I think I think well, that's what it is. I think he knows he can beat him because he just has everything so timed, well-timed and planned out. And he, he had no idea Dan was coming for him. He was already on his way out when he came across Dan and Lori. We'll find out later. So it's not like he... Did this because he's like, oh, I'm being rescued. He, he he knows what he's doing. I don't think he is that he doesn't care. He he knows what's up. He also doesn't respond. I think in part because he's probably still thinking about the bigger issue. I think 
jail's just a temporary setback for him. He knows what he needs to do, and he's just buying his time. I mean, don't forget to go back to uh, issue number six. You know, I'm not locked in here with them. They're locked in here with me. And this is this is this, and what he does later on is all part of that. I feel the same way sometimes. <laughs> so moving on to to page eight, we see the detective come pay Dan Dryberg a visit, and you know by the end of these next few pages, we definitely find out that the detective is on to Dan, and he knows that he's he's the second night owl, and and you know knows you know what's going on, and that he's involved um, with Warshack and knows you know knows what's going on. Just a just a quick note here. Um, we talked about the uh, the teapot in a couple issues back, um, and if you look at the eighth panel on page eight, you can see the Vite logo a little clearly, a little clearer. Excuse yeah. me. And yeah. also, I oh, think yeah, yeah. this is a note. It looks like that uh, Detective Fine is smoking palm oils, and anytime we've really seen smoking, um, a Bernie the the newsstand kid. Well, honestly, it looks like he's smoking a joint. What? Not a cigarette. Yeah. It looks like Detective Fine is smoking cigarettes, and then of course Silk Spectre has this like uh, I'm just going to say Vite influenced Egyptian type um, cigarette holder. So that seems to be uh, more of a feminine motif, which yeah. is a little strange because of how effeminate it sometimes um, Ozymandias uh, comes across as. So I guess culturally, if you look at the spirit of the times, so to speak. You know, Detective Fine here, we haven't seen this before, I guess is what I'm trying to say, as far as like an actual, you know, pack of cigarettes and smoking and all that stuff. Just kind of a cultural note on, on that end of things. Plus the Gordian Knot guy's back. Yeah. Oh, and Adam, I think those are Lucky Strikes and not Paul Malls. Okay, sorry. I'm not a smoker. That's Dan. <laughs> what's, in, what's interesting, too, uh, Adam, it's interesting that you bring that up about uh, there being like the, the feminine version of the cigarette. Um, her cigarette is in the ashtray on the eighth panel of eight and then the top of nine. Oh, yeah. So while oh, yeah. the detective is going on saying, oh, you know, and he had a woman with him and they were serving coffee and, and Dan's going, oh, crap, you know, the her cigarette is right in the ashtray. And if what you say is true, the detective's going to know that it's a female's. You know, as yeah. and he also doesn't smoke. No, so he also oh. makes a comment about that, how I don't smoke, but meanwhile there's a burning cigarette. Right. I see the uh, you know the hints he's getting to why uh, why he would think that Dan is the night owl. Uh, do we have any clue? I didn't see anything to why he came there in the first place. He came there. He said in the beginning because he saw Dryberg at um, the funeral for the community. Oh, that's right. That's right. right. And, and then, then when he comes that. in, he sees the same kind of sugar cubes right. that are only available in catering that Rorschach had in his pockets. And at the end, right before he leaves, he's like. You know what he had in his pockets when we call him? Sugar cubes. So that's like him telling Dryberg, I know. I just can't prove it yet. You know what I mean? I mean, immediately yeah. Dan is like, okay, we have to get out of here. He may have already called Rockefeller Base. We have a deadline. Because the, the yeah. police uh, detective makes it very clear that he knows what's going on. Well, it's interesting, too, one of the, you know, another little bit of foreshadowing, but the Gordian Knot guy is there again to replace the lock. And one of the things he says is, is uh, this baby will hold off an army? So, and that'll definitely come play into late, you know, later on in the issue. That you know, again, um, you know, the lock. And I, I've got a, another comment and observation when we get to that point. But I just thought it was interesting. Now, on the map and stuff that Dan was mapping out earlier, is the Gordian Knot Company tied to Adrian, or 
Is this just out of the blue here? Well, the Gordian Knot's a reference to Alexander the Great, so I'm sure, in, you know, even if it's not a direct, you know, uh, Viet no. company or whatever, it's definitely no. an allusion to that. Well, I, I know, and so are the, the Notus Gordii Mountains that um, John talks about. You know, Notus Gordii is more or less Gordian path on Mars when John's up in Mars. But what I'm asking is, is the Gordian Knot Company actually tied like pyramid deliveries to Adrian? I don't think so. Yeah, I don't know that we actually get that direct correlation. Do you know what I mean? Because we just saw the map three pages back or whatever, and that's what I'm asking. Is it is this one of Adrian's companies? So we, we certainly don't think we've seen it yet. I don't know about the last four issues. I haven't read them, of course, so you guys know better than I. The only reason I would say probably is just it seems that nothing is coincidental, and you know wherever something is is a vague reference or you know vaguely tied you know from one thing to the other, it, it seems that um, that that's, that's the case. If you look at the bottom panel on page nine, the the lock, the door lock itself is kind of shining, and yeah. um, that effect we saw on the cover with Hollis Mason's statue, and we haven't really seen that kind of like lighting effect before, so I think that's mirrored from the cover, and also I guess symbolically, if the Gordian knot, quote unquote, is broken, that's something that's supposed to be impossible. It's a con- it's a contradiction, and we'll see how um, Adrian you know, unties the Gordian knot um, when we get up to Karnak in issue 12. And then the other thing that the, the detective points out is the whole, the owl on the calendar. I mean, it's just, you know, somewhat coincidental because the calendar obviously isn't all owls. It's, it's you know, birds. But um, but it's just funny how he happens to be visiting in October and the, 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 the picture for October is an owl. And then, of course, when we get to November, it's the hawk going after a sparrow. So moving on to page ten, we get the uh, we cut over to the New Frontiersmen, and we see the editor actually doing a paste up um, for the for the newspaper, which is something that you know nowadays, especially with the computers the way they are, this is pretty much a lost art. You know, nowadays when you want to make a layout or move things around, you pretty much just do it all on the computer. And this is back in the days when you actually had to paste it up and move it around and then, you know, take it over and go shoot it with a camera and make plates and take it to press. And then we see the, uh, I guess, editor's assistant in the background. He's got the uh, yellow smiley uh, on his shirt helping out and getting pretty much berated by the editor the whole time. Um, No matter what he does, it doesn't seem to be the right thing. Poor Seymour. He can't do anything right. Yeah. Gets yelled at constantly. The, uh, the interesting thing about this, and we'll see this from page 10 all the way out into page 15, is that the bottom panel is going to be, you know, kind of Dan and Lori's story and what they're doing and how they're progressing with their plans to bust out Rorschach. And the top portion of the page is, is you know, going to be used to move the, the story itself along. So I thought that was kind of an interesting um, way to do that. And, then, and there are no um, dialogue. There's no dialogue or no dialogue balloons for the Dan and Lori portion as they're, you know, prepping the ship and heading out and, and on their way. Well, they don't need it because uh, their actions being described by the panels immediately above. We have the editor. Meanwhile, I get this whole pantomime ready to hit the streets, and that's what they're doing. They're getting ready to go out and, go out and do, their, do their thing. The next page, you know, it talks about let's try to uh, give the Tyke a final once-over, and that's what they're doing. They're giving the Owl ship a final once-over. Plus, this is the uh, prose piece that's at the end of this issue. Is the uh, issue of the New Frontiersmen that they're actually laying out in this issue. Seymour's got yeah, the yeah. picture of uh, Max Shea, and um, he's uh, was on this corner of, of Bernard's newsstand, 
in an earlier issue. Uh, additionally, the editor's name is Hector Godfrey. This, of course, is in contrast to the guys over at the Nova Express. The, uh, pr- uh, the uh, well, progressive, I don't know if you want to call it faux progressive uh, magazine, but uh, we get uh, the New Frontier's take on things after the, well, I guess outing in, you know, of what may have been Dr. Manhattan's set up for uh, the conspiracy theorists. Interestingly enough, though, it's the um, it's the left-wing newspaper that unveils the conspiracy theory or alleged allegation of the, thereof of Dr. Manhattan, whereas typically uh, rags like the New Frontier are more inclined to do, uh, you know, historical revisionism and uh, also conspiracy theories. Well, I mean, my, my, my observation of this of this this world is that the uh, the Nova Express is the, the the liberal newspaper, if you will, which is direct in contrast of the you know conservative right wing administration and government we have, which Doctor Manhattan is a is a is a, a vehicle of a tool of. So of course they're going to be ones who are going to going to try to discredit him, with a little push from their parent company, a reputable delivery company, which is of course owned by, by Adrian. Hey, that lady's drawing a giant squid. Yes, she is. But we see the picture, as you're saying, on page uh, uh, page ten of the of our missing writer, who we now find out find out he's not missing. He knows right where he is, just that no one else does or seems to. And you know, as the author of the Black Freighter, he himself is trapped on an island. <laughs> but he seems to be there willingly. He seems like wants he wants to be there. And he's stuck with um, you know a potential love interest who uh her name is uh hira manish uh left-handed it's interesting that she's ambidextrous because she signs her name with her right hand and we get the same date across the world as we do on the roman numeral styled clock face that matches the back covers in the new frontiersman of uh halloween 1985 when uh, mira signs uh this portrait of squidzilla is hira manish a, an anagram of hiroshima I'll have to look up my Indian baby name Bible. Now, apparently, she is the artist of the Black Freighter comic, just judging by the dialogue, or at least of one of his things. Or maybe of, of something he's written, at least. Maybe not the Black Freighter, Black Freighter, because he's talking about the Black Freighter story in, in the dialogue there. And then, you know, here you go, she jumps in, like, more pleasant than your current one, I hope, illustrating that last sequence. So she's talking about something he's currently writing that she's illustrating yeah. for him. But this is something yeah. I was thinking about with the... Uh, you know, with the squid, uh, not to give too much away about the movie, but we've talked before about how apparently the squid's not in the movie. And this page here is kind of making that choice make a little more sense to me. We've already talked about how the the Black Freighter itself is not going to be in the movie. It's going to be released pr- separately beforehand on a DVD. But how many, again, catering to the non-comic readers, the, the mainstream audience, if you will, how many of them are going to get that DVD? I'm going to say, you know, 5% or, or none even. So to have, at that point, if you don't know anything about the Black, Black Freighter, I don't see the, this author or his story or this page meaning anything to anybody. So, I mean, just dropping this, now you don't have the squid, the introduction of the squid, which would make it even more out of left field come the end of the movie, if, if, you, if you're following me. So it's obvious to make a commercial film, they're going to have to streamline in some places. Mm-hmm. And, and this taking is, out this kind of foreshadowing is the perfect way to do that without right. really compromising the story in a major way. And, and you've already built up so much about Dr. Manhattan. You'd be curious to see how they, how or if they end up using him 
as a substitute, which it seems is what they're, the way they're going. But I don't think you'll see anything. You might see a poster in the background, but it's not going to be dwelled on at all about this missing writer. Yeah, probably. I, I, probably not. I, I tend to agree with you there. Well, it's really just a plot device. As long as the characters act like react the same way to whatever event happens, it really doesn't matter. And I mean, the the squid always was kind of out of left field in the comic book for me, anyway. And I think it's something else I've read. That was kind of the point. The 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 the, the ludicrous nature, the the crazy idea of this squid, kind of made the point of Adrian's plan being as as stupid as it was, for lack of a better word. And so changing it might impact that part of it. But again, I think in the nature of streamline, trying to make them, you know, make it a little tighter, that's what's going to happen. I just reserve final judgment until I see the movie. Well, did you like the ending to issue 12, Ken? I haven't run all the way through yet, so I'm talking out my butt anyway. Yeah, I think think when we get to 12, we'll have a a very uh, lengthy conversation about to, to squid or not to squid? Well, I think, uh, you know, they pretty much bogarted all the squids for old boy. Yeah, it would have came off like a ripoff. <laughs> I looked up the name uh, Hira, which means it's uh, Sanskrit for diamond. And her last name, Manish, is uh, another uh, Hindi word, which means lord of the mind. Which kind of makes sense with the squid's origin, since it was more or less based off of the brain of... Uh, a telepath, empath, um, however you want to fill in the blank on the squid brain, squid human brain. Yeah, I was just saying it's kind of reminiscent of Hiroshima, though. It has a lot of the same letters. I don't know. We keep saying nothing's for, you know, nothing's accidental in this book, so. We see um, Hollis, who's carving a pumpkin for Halloween. And it's interesting how the, the, the TV is the the, is going on about the next 10 days inconceivable as that might seem God knows what these people have instead of brains and we see Hollis you know basically the, the pumpkin represents a head and he's taking out you know what you know what what would be the brains you know kind of in his hands I thought that was kind of an interesting smiley face uh, too yeah smiley face and of course and kind of ironic him. considering how the issue ends yeah yeah and then we see on pay, um, panels uh, I guess it starts on panel three, but you know we see it most um, prominently on panel six is the, uh, the the splatter over that left eye, just kind of like we do the you know the, again the smiley having the splatter over it. Right. Plus, there's a mention about Nova Express being financed by a very ordinary, very American delivery company. I would assume that would be Pyramid Deliveries. That would be. That's that's yeah, what I was referring right. to earlier. Yeah. Also, Hollis mentions. Uh, uh, Rodin, the sculptor Rodin, Rodin, and um, his famous work is The Thinker, you know, that famous uh, sculpture of a man sitting down with uh, his head on his fist with his elbow on his knee. And it's interesting that he speaks of sculptors because, you know, he has monuments built to him. That's the in memoriam or in, you know, the honor statue that we see on the cover. I was just going to say, you said the thinker. I, I seem to remember when Dr. Manhattan was on Mars, like him striking that same pose. He was, yeah. Those two images are connected as well. And then the last time we've seen a dog was when uh, Rorschach, you know, hacked up the dogs and stuff. And now it's, uh, you know, 
man's best friend is uh, helping out Hollis here. But very traditional. Look, he's giving out candy apples, not, not you know, Snicker bars or anything like that. I just think that's kind of funny. Definitely old school with Hollis. He's got the outbook ends all over the place, too. It's kind of interesting that what Hollis is listening to is the editor of the Nova Express, you know, or, or, you know, well, actually, it's a, it's a flip-flop between um, Nova Express and New Frontiers and where they're talking about um, their prospective papers and kind of attacking attacking each other. The editor says, um, just coming in, the prisoner scouted by Rorschach, by a captured vigilante Rorschach, died this afternoon. Fing a riot, prison spokesmen say they're looking into the jaws of hell. One of Rodin's work was The Gates of Hell, which was this kind of huge, massive sculpture work by him that um, talks, excuse me, that depicts one of the scenes from uh, Dante's Inferno. It's got about 200 figures carved into it in, in the actual sculpture itself. It's uh, pretty amazing. And then as we move on to page 13, we see, again, we get the switching of the, you know, what what's being said on panel with what's going on in the Black Freighter and how they, they parallel each other very closely. And, um, you know, we kind of see two two sides forming, um, waiting for the next um, issue of the uh, of the Gazette and uh, hasn't shown up yet, and we'll find out, you know, why in a little bit. Um, and then we find out that um, that basically the riot has started at the prison, that the, the guy that, that Rorschach threw the, the, the grease on has, has died, and um, the prison's basically going crazy. This is also the... Uh the beginning of the end for our friend Hollis right here with these, this, uh, the mob is forming. They're starting to get all fired up and they're very soon going to be looking for an outlet. It's funny because, you know, Bernard as the news vendor, he, he kind of, he, he takes a look at these headlines and it's kind of like, he's a soothsayer. You know, he's kind of like that character who can kind of read the tea leaves and gauge you know, the, uh, the, what do they call that? Esprit de corps, the, the spirit of the times, the zeitgeist of you know the nation and he's he's saying this and he says well i guess that's it i guess the balloons that uh the balloons gone up on panel six and then we look we see the owl ship and you know when we saw that previously it was the gunga din uh, excuse me the gunga diner elephant balloon that was way up in the air in another note incidentally on uh, panel three we see joey the uh taxi driver who hung up the um pink triangle concert poster um, I went back through when I was watching the motion comic, and whenever Lori leaves Rockefeller base, um, the cab driver she gets is uh, Joey, who Bernard's talking to in panel three. We just uh, neglected to mention that in an earlier episode. Huh. Yeah, I didn't pick that up either. Good catch. I did just go back to that issue, and you're right, it was definitely Joey. So moving on to 14, we're back at the prison, and we see that the the mob has come and they're coming for Rorschach so we get the, the beginnings of um, all the trash talk and, and, and the guys piling up and it seems like they've got some sort of they brought a, a welder to, to cut through the the bars to get at them and then it, it's interesting that the, the big guy reaches through and then you know Rorschach just turns you know he takes his shirt off you know like, like nothing's going on and then just turns around what I'm assuming is going to be with lightning fast reflexes and um, wraps the, the guy up around with his shirt and secures him um, to the bars so that he can't get away and he's in the way of them 
um, them cutting through to, to open the, the cell door. And then we see at the bottom of 14, we see Dan and Lori descending upon the prison. I love the little deadpan two-word answers that Rorschach has through the whole issue, you know, fat yeah. chance. What have you got? Your hands, my perspective, one nothing, your move. I can just, I, I, I can't wait to, I hope they keep this in the film, you know, the dialogue the way it is, because it's just so Rorschach and so perfect, you know. And then on 15, that, that whole, I mean, obviously the guy knows he's, you know, he's going to get it because he's in the way and they want him, to, you know, they want Rorschach and they're not going to wait to, um, to free him up. So they, uh, you know, they, they obviously cut him. Um, it always seemed weird to me because if, if he had a knife, I guess they don't want to reach in, you know, after knowing, um, yeah, at first I was wondering why they just didn't use the knife to cut free the, you know, where he was bound up. But I guess um, reaching in that cell is probably a, a, not a good proposition at this point, given given what they've done to this guy. Yeah, but even with, with killing him, he's he's still in the way. He's still there blocking them from yeah. from cutting it open. So I don't really see what they accomplished there. It doesn't there, solve the problem. Other than shutting him up. <laughs> yeah. I took it as meaning they were just going to use the torch and just cut right through him. I, I, I thought that's what they were going to end up doing. You know, just just you know, get, you know, go at him like he's not he's not not there. I guess maybe with the sparks flying and stuff, he would be squirming around and kicking and whatnot. And, you know, no, they just go right around him. Yeah, yeah, they just go ahead and kill him. Then he's not they're not going to have to worry about you know having to to, to deal with him at the same time. But on you know, panel four on fifteen, that whole the way that blood just just spurts. It's almost like somebody just you know turned a hose on and and, and it's just poured right on Rorschach, and he just. It, it doesn't again doesn't doesn't skip a beat. Just kind of stands there. He's just waiting. He knows they're coming, and um, but yeah, I love that one nothing. Your move, come and get me. And again, we cut at the bottom of fifteen to Dan and Lori as they're approaching the prison and look on the guards' faces as they look up and see this this owl ship coming at them. Then moving on to to sixteen, we we see another one of uh, Night Owl's gadgets, which is the the screechers. Which obviously emit a, a very you know, sonic it, it, sonic weapon. So they put their their earplugs in and and head down in to, to go get Rorschach. But interesting too that the guards, you know, they're sh- with all the craziness going on, they they turn around and start shooting at, at, at the ship. And we move on to to seventeen, and we see. I mean, how many of you guys saw this coming? Oh, with the, the uh, with the, the welder. Yeah. I mean, as soon as as soon as he stood up, I mean, it's kind of hard, you know. Again, with a comic, you know, trying not to, to take a whole page in at a time, but I, I try and focus my eyes as much as I can when I read to, to panel at a time, so I don't I don't spoil it. But as soon as he stepped up and had his foot braced against that toilet, I was just like, that, that yeah, this isn't going to end well. But I love his comment at the bottom of seventeen, where he goes, "Never disposed of sewage with toilet before." Obvious, really. Learn two nothing, you're new, and at that point. Yeah, they realize that that they're they're way they're in way over their head, and and the, the boss guy just turns around and starts making a beeline for you know for the exit to get out of there because he knows at this point he's got no muscle, and obviously he way 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 underestimated Borshak, so he's he's running for his life at this point. And again with the coloring, you know, the bottom of seventeen, everything's dark and red, you know, just very stark contrast between the first six panels, which obviously because the welder and everything are very bright 
Again, this is a sequence I just hope they, they re recreate faithfully in the film because, I mean, this just really shows Rorschach's character, he, how resourceful he is, how determined he is, and how his only real superpower is his perspective. It's the way he looks at things. Yeah, absolutely. I think that'll just, you know, again, be a great sequence to see um, brought to life. Moving on to 18, again, we get the interesting panel layout, and we'll see this this repeat over the next couple pages where we get one frame of Dan and Lori, the next frame of Rorschach, one frame of Dan and Lori, the next frame of Rorschach. So we get this this alternating as as uh, Rorschach is after the boss man and Dan and Lori are after Rorschach. And like I said, continuing on to, to 19, same thing. They finally get to his cell. Lori makes a comment of, um, from the smell, this whole place has his stamp on it. So... You know, they're seeing the chaos and, and the, the aftermath and the, and the smell and the smoke and everything, and they know right off that, you know, it, it's obviously Rorschach's doing. I thought it was funny how they were, you know, they, they came in to break him out, and they're, like, screaming his name, but, you know, Rorschach's, like, ignoring them because he's so focused on just getting that little guy. Yeah. Yeah, and then at the, like, at the bottom of, of 19, it's like, you know, uh, we're not interrupting anything, you know, like, like what you know? What are you doing? We, we came here for you, and you're just you know, you know nothing. And then you know, of course, we moving on to twenty. We even get Lori's you know response that you know she's she's a little hacked off because they you know they're basically breaking the law, breaking into a to a penitentiary to break this guy out, and he doesn't even acknowledge their his existence, presence, or even say thank you. I thought that was kind of, that was kind of funny. This address is a uh, major thing I always wondered about when I was a kid reading comics is how they went to, how superheroes went to the bathroom. You know <laughs> what I mean? Yeah. Because if you think about it, I mean, they never, ever talk about it. They never show it. And then here, you know, Rorschach's like, I have to use the restroom. And she's like, are you kidding? And he's like, oh, it's okay. It happened to me once. You know, I had to redesign my suit. And By the way, there's no need for a men's room in a prison because there are no women. Nice, nice point. Yeah, I didn't even think about that, but yeah, I guess I guess so. It, it's funny too that they they it, it, they take him literally. It's like he he goes in the men's room and they just take him at his word that he's got to go to the bathroom. And you know we know that that has nothing. You know he, he doesn't have to go to the bathroom. He's 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 going after the guy in there to kill him. And it's funny that um, Lori's comment on, on that on panel six is really. I mean, are you sure? We don't want to get too reckless and go diving headfirst into things. And then Rorschach's comment is, mm, good advice. Sure, there are many who'd agree with you. So, <laughs> obviously, you know, he swore, he swore lead that guy to death in the men's room. There's, you know, there's no, no question about that in my mind. Then we move on to the 21 where they make their, their big escape out of the prison. And, again, we get this, this whole Dan's, you know, he's totally in the zone. You know, he's, he, he's, He's in his element, you know, um, and he's really getting into the whole what's going on. That you know, there's definitely a conspiracy, and he's got you know he's he's got everything planned out. I mean, Lori's worried about the fact that you know there's no there's no doubt about it. They know, you know, they're going to know who he is now. You know, the the cops are going to to put two and two together. They're going to know who he is, and you know, his response is that um, he says, "No, it's okay. I set up emergency identities years ago. They'll conceal us." And hold tight, we're going home to roost. So again, the whole, you know, flight motif with, with what he's saying and what they're doing. As the sequence ends, this layout, this page layout also ends too. The six panels and the one big panel at the bottom. 
I mean, we've had it through the, from when they left the Owl Cave or whatever it's called, all the way through. It's been well. I'm sorry. There's one part that isn't, but when once this layout uh, ends, the sequence ends. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah. when they escape from the the prison, they go back to the nine panel layout. And then we we see. I, I think this will be another one of those cool when we get to the movie. Um, you know, sequences at the bottom of twenty one where you can tell the ship is is at this point like straight up in the air, and uh, you know Rorschach's looking down at the at the prison, and then we see the uh, NYPD. It looks like they have their own. Um, you know, it, it almost looks like a dirigible. You know, their own you know blimp vehicles um, that the police have as as well. I guess instead of helicopters or whatever, they've got their little blunts that fly around and almost kind of remind me of Batman the Animated Series, you know, where you've you seen that? Yeah, in the title sequence, right? The, uh... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then kind of carried that over into, even into the Superman the Animated, where, you know, a lot of those kind of anti-grab or flight vehicles that are, that, that get used. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Obviously, this is precursor to that. And it's funny how, um, again, we move on to, uh, Going back to 21 a little bit, one of the things that Dan mentions, John, again, and where we've seen in the past is when, when Lori, I'm sorry, Lori mentions Dan, or uh, John. When Lori in the past has mentioned John, Dan gets real fidgety and, you know, put off and, you know, almost like, you know, the whole competition thing, you know, that John is competition to him, you know, because he obviously has feelings and affection for Lori. And uh, we know, you know, noticed that, that he... Uh, she says that, you know, she brings it up again and says something and he, he could care less. You know, he's totally in the zone either because he, he no longer feels threatened by, by Dr. Manhattan or, you know, he's just at the point where he knows and he feels comfortable, you know, with, with the, where him and Lori are at at this point that, uh, that you know, they're just going to move forward. And we move on to, to 22. It's almost like, she, you know, she, she kind of is wishing for you know, something to come in and, you know, be able to kind of sweep her away um, and, and, you know, make the problem go away, and then, boom, you know, she walks in the next room, and who does she see but Dr. Manhattan? Just sitting there waiting. Right. She with, gets his uh, with his cleverly placed newspaper. Yeah. 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 Rorschach stealing uh, sugar cubes up on a third panel. <laughs> I was yeah. just going to say, they're all getting their personal effects and Rorschach's in his pockets with more sugar cubes. Then we get into, you know, on 23 where we get back to, you know, she says, I, you know, I thought you were on Mars. And he says, I am on Mars. And you know, here is where it starts to get really weird with him. And, you know, we'll see this more in, in the next issue especially. But um, where his whole concept of time and space and where he's at at what time is, is completely um, convoluted. You know, he, he, he's, he's really existing in all times and all places. I, I thought it was interesting on the on the third panel on 23 how, uh, um, you know, he just appears. She goes, I mean, it's all so deus ex machina. And, and then he says, you know, got out of the machine. Yes, yes, I suppose it is. So it, it you know, it literally almost from a, from a, from a literary perspective or from, from the book that, that him showing up like that at that time is very deus ex machina. And she basically calls it out that, that it is what it is. So I just, I just thought that was interesting that, you know, it, it, it's almost like Alan Moore's calling out the fact that he's using that device. So at the bottom of 23, we, we see that the cops have come and 
they need to start making their their hasty retreat. Uh, you know, first he, you know he's you know Rorschach says Daniel uh, doorbell ringing, and then then he says people outside Daniel police, and he's just watching you know Lori and and John, and again we get the almost like we get the old Dan back on the middle you know on 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 twenty three because he sees John and Lori and. You know, they're, they're contemplating, you know, going off together and, you know, we get the, the insecure Dan and kind of that, you know, the, the, well, the look on his face. Yeah, I mean, his, his relationship with, with Lori is, is what brought him back, brought him back up and all of a sudden, like, you know, everything that made him insecure is back and it's right in front, right in his living room. And even his posture again or how he's drawn on that last panel on 23. This looks defeated yeah. and, and he's kind of got that, like, they drew that bigger midsection on him again. Like he just looks like a different, you know, he's back to that frumpy out of shape, Dan. Yeah. And moving on to 24, we see the cops have finally broken the, the lock again. And, you know, the comment from the guy at the Gordian knot company was it was, it would take an army to, to, or, you know, the, the, the lock would stop an army and literally, that's probably what amounts to an army of police um, outside that door. So they've um, they finally busted through. Yeah, pretty um, pretty easily. And the lock is still shining, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The actual round part of the lock. And they come through, and obviously the detective find as they come into the kitchen, they see the the, the bag of sugar cubes is knocked over, um, and they head down and take off in the owl ship. And at this point, it's there's no question that the jig is up for Dan Dryberg. He is. He has been outed and a wanted man. What is that, like an owl robot? You see by the steps on the bottom of 24 in the big panel? I believe yeah, that's, that's the... That's an experimental exoskeleton yeah. mentioned in the earlier one, broke his shoulder. So you heard, oh, I, thought, okay. I thought it was just a replacement from Batman's Beethoven's head. He just like, pops the head open and flips the switch and the, the, the owl poles show up and he can get down to the cave. <laughs> <laughs> Then we move on to, to 25, and we see the uh, we get more of the Black Freighter again, and the, and the mob is is growing um, even even more restless and wanting to do something, and um, and and they they one of them mentions that this is not all my dad knows him lives over near uh, over some garage near here we ought to go we ought to go get him, and. Uh, the, you know, then the mob is sparked on, and they don't realize they have the wrong night owl. Um, they don't realize that it's you know what they're talking about is Hollis Mason, not the the current incarnation of the night owl. So the mob makes a beeline for for poor Hollis Mason. Under the uh, nostalgia ad, as they run by, um, the ghost of you claims the, the the name of this episode is Old Ghosts, so yeah. it's kind of. Uh, Fitting that they were running under the big nostalgia ad. I had a I had a, a Blues Brothers moment looking at that panel. The '86 Buicks. Hey, the new Buicks are in. Other the new that, Oldsmobiles. New Oldsmobiles, yeah. So the Blues Brothers, yeah. Every time I see that, I do the same thing. Hey, the new Oldsmobiles are early. Illinois Nazis. <laughs> There's a meltdowns ad over there too on the right. It's kind of cut off, but we can we can do a whole whole another show on on the Blues Brothers anytime. I'll I'll be I'll be all over it. Oh, me too. I'm up for that. Illinois Nazis. <laughs> I hate Illinois listen, Nazis. Listen, the Blues Brothers is fine, but it's definitely not happening before RoboCop. <laughs> okay. 
Touche, my friend. Touche. I'll give you RoboCop. Yeah, get that 360, John. We could all watch RoboCop together. No, like, that's not I mean, active that's... yet. That feature's not active yet, anyway. Oh. Or we can just yeah. all put on RoboCop and sit on Skype and watch it. And play at the same time. <laughs> that would pre- me, presuppose me buying a copy of RoboCop. Oh, that's what Netflix is for. Yeah, exactly. Well, I'll get the copy at the same time. And... I have several copies. I'll mail you one. <laughs> <laughs> Move back on to, to twenty six, and we get more more Black Freighter. And again, what you know, what's being said in the Black Freighter is 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 what's going on in, in the in, in our in the the quote real world. You know, we're on twenty six panel one. It says, but the water surface seemed as stone beneath my timber blistered soles, and the ocean's depths depths refused to, to swallow me. So as these guys are walking through. Stepping in puddles, you know, right up, you know, above the, the concrete. One of the things I, I got from uh, from from the latter part of this, it, it almost seems like you know this this definitely is the end. The, the text is almost like speaking about Hollis um, and you know his his end coming to pass. And you know, it's a, on the third panel it says, "I lifted my un, uncomprehending eyes to the heavens and saw instead the earth." Accustomed to a miserable shifting landscape of iron green, my mind cannot at first grasp the meaning of this sandbar, blonde and solid. It's, it's, it, you know, it's almost like you know, death is coming for Hollis. It meant that my lurching journey through darkness was ended. You know, and again, we, you know, as we talked about earlier, it seemed like Hollis is, is, you know, kind of in the dark days of his life. You know, he's he's concerned about how much, you know, how he's going to make a living and um, you know, surrounded, you know, in you know. You know, with all of his old trinkets and you know, beer and cigarettes, um, and then and then again, the you know Black Freighter phrase says it meant that I had reached my destination. So again, it, you know, to me this just all was just you know foreshadowing and and leading up to to Hollis meeting his end. And as we see on at the bottom of twenty six, we again we get the who who watches the Watchmen that we don't get to see the whole thing of, and then. On page 27, uh, you know, Hollis thinks it's just trick-or-treaters coming to his door, you know, grabs up his candy and opens the door and then basically gets bum-rushed by a mob and beaten to death. Yeah, I'm reading this 27, and the only panels where we see the, the text of, of them yelling at him, it's it's scenes of him in his prime fighting his villains and winning. And I'm wondering, is this what's going on in his mind? And is this how he's, he's envisioning it happening? He's remembering his life, or is he just just how he's like mentally handling, dealing with it, or just for, for our benefit to to see the the the, the, the dichotomy? I, I pictured him like when they came in, kind of like having a like almost like a post traumatic stress disorder type thing, where he's going back and and he feels like he's in that moment. Uh, so you know, there's something going on, but there's what he's seeing going on, and and he's seeing himself back fighting in his prime in the middle panel we see that sign that we've seen every time we've uh, seen hollis mason the obsolete models of specialty uh we fix them guy and then at the bottom panel of that page that sign's being knocked over by one of these uh knot tops oh yeah it's kind of uh, uh, yeah. kind of symbolic of what's about to happen yeah it was interesting on on 27 as the fight rages on you notice that it looks like um he's even got a dog beside him that that is in his, you know in costume, which you know we hadn't we hadn't seen any you know any of that prior, and you know obviously his dog's with him. So um, it, 
interested, you know, I'm curious to see if, you know, again, as we talk about, is this, is this what he's seeing, you know, about, you know, from his perspective of what's going on and remembering the good old days, you know, or, you know, is this, is this just used for effect and showing a flashback of him in an actual fight from, from his past or both? That bomb left panel, uh, the, at the, does that, um, make anyone think of, uh, Captain America first appearance cover? This always kind of reminded me as much as Dan Dryberg is sort of an allegory for Batman. Um, Hollis Mason always kind of struck me as an allegory for Captain America. He had that kind of 1940s fought the Nazis, kind of a down home morals sort of guy. And he's definitely kind of a man out of his own era as far as, you know, Captain America is sort of out of his own time. Right. Yeah, I could see that, yeah. definitely. Yeah, I almost Even- see Hollis Mason's like being the good side of Captain America and maybe the comedian being like the the darker side of Captain America. That's true. It's funny how even the dog, you know, in the in that middle panel, the dog is like, you know, helping him out. It's like biting that guy's arm and, you know, he's part of the fight. And even the dog can't do anything now, you know, he's just kind of like watching as Mason gets plowed Why? over. Why is the dog wearing a mask in the middle panel? That's what I want to know. Are they try- is the dog trying to protect his identity from other dogs, or what's going on? <laughs> Imagine what the cats would do to him if they knew who he was. Yeah, what was that the old cartoon uh, Dynamite? Yeah, you can't. You can't. Hal's couldn't be walking down the street as himself, walking around with Night Owl's dog. People start to put things together. <laughs> well, the mask also kind of looks like the old Ace the Bat Hound mask. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, why Batman would have a dog, because bats and dogs are exactly what I think of going together. But it was the 40s, who knew, you know? Then, as we move on to 28, the first panel there where we see Hollis with that look on his face and the blood down from his nose, if you go back to issue one, where the comedian, you know, after he's been, you know, punched and 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 the, the villain has grabbed around him. It's almost like a, a, a play on that image itself. I really like the way the shadow of his statue is outlined on his face. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the statue. Yeah, if you, if, if, back in issue one, page three, you know, it's the, it kind of has that same, um, you know, the, the, it's very similar to each other. And then, of course, we see on the third panel the the... the pumpkin being, you know, smashed on the ground, which is symbolic for, you know, basically this guy that's bashed him in the head, conceivably with the, with his own statue. And then they, they go on and bail out. And the kids go up there thinking they're going to get a, you know, trick-or-treat and realize that they stumble across Hollis Mason as he dies. I got a rock. That's what I kept thinking I wanted to say. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting too in that last panel how the um the golden statue from the beginning of the um issue is now on the ground covered in detritus and blood. The picture of the original Minutemen is smashed and broken on the floor, the under the hood book, everything that we saw at the beginning of the issue is now destroyed and in total disarray. Have you noticed on the picture, on that right where his left eye would be, it's almost like there's a spatter of blood. That goes from left, you know, again, that same, in that same motion. Yep. Anybody read the prose? I did. (laughs) Yeah, I read it. 
And it, it, this one was a little more interesting. I mean, one, it, it's kind of interesting visually how this is literally the, you know, the what I guess you consider the, the pre-press piece um, of the article, you know, with all the um, the, the crop marks and, and all that, and the notes and the, and the margins and, and all that kind of stuff, um, as, it, as it would have, you know, appeared before it went to press. Um, but it, it's interesting how that, you know, that this is basically the New Frontiersman's um, response to uh, to the Nova Express piece um, and how they're basically, you know, blame Nova Express for, um, for, 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 for everything. Um, and they're, um, how it connects uh, the New Frontier, you know, how they're connecting the New Frontiersman to Rorschach. And then he, it, it, the strangest thing is on um, the second page of the prose, where they're they're almost justifying the existence of the Ku Klux Klan. You know, just it, it, you know, again, you know, this is supposed to be the the right wing, you know, the right wing paper taken to the extreme. Um, so even in there, you know, even here that it, it, it Alan Moore's, you know, continue that on, um, and it continues to do that. And they, you know, it's how they're comparing. He also makes comparison of the, the, the heroes to the, the costume adventurers to, you know, the Lone Ranger and, and the people that participated in the Boston Tea Party and, um, you know, compares them to, you know, early, you know, patriots like Paul Revere and, and things like that. So it's kind of interesting how, you know, again, we get the perspective of what, you know, what this paper is like in this, in this world. The Nova Express is obviously the, the uh, higher, or better funded, higher quality paper. Um, I guess because it has Veet's money behind it or whatever. And this is very much like the made-in-a-basement, uh, you know, hyperbole, unedited kind of rant. Um, the, I don't know, the kind of thing we hear from Bill O'Reilly now, I guess. But in, in the day, it would have been like, you know, it's almost like a fanzine compared to the way Nova Express is shown in, in Watchmen as being you know, a mainstream magazine, more like Life or Time. So you're saying the new Frontiersman is a no-spin zone? You said it. I didn't. <laughs> Then we get the interesting, uh, um, you know, comic, the little, um, you know, comic in the paper on, on the, the third page where it shows that Doug Roth, who's the um, Nova Express editor, um, saying he wants a fair fight as he's, you know, chained up the the hero um, with, you know, one arm behind his, you know, behind his back while, um, you know, all the baddies are lined up against them. Right, you get the Jewish stereotype of the rich Jewish guy, and you have the, you know, the Italian mafioso stereotype and the evil Russian stereotype. You know, the, um, the ring girl is selling pot. It's, it's, it's just very, uh, like, very full of like the right wing vitriol, very stereotypical. You know, and then you have what Lady Liberty crying in the corner. Yeah. Then we uh, page four. I was going to say, the, I was going to yeah. say on that image, and you have in the corner John Q. Public, and he's asleep, ignoring it all. Yeah, yeah, and he's waving a, uh, a flag of the, for the Keen, you know, the Keen, the Keen Act. On um, page four, this is where, this is where it's, in my in my opinion, it's important to read the prose because this is what ties back to, you know, what we saw earlier in the issue where we saw Max Shea and um, Hero Manish, um, you know, on that island, and you know he's talking and she's drawing and and how we. You know, we find out that there are other folks that are missing of different, um, you know, with, with different specialties and, and um, talents. Uh, 
you know, and, and it talks about how um, you know Manish was having difficulties with her marriage, um, making her apparent abandonment of her husband and two sons somewhat less than surprising. Um, talks about another guy, um, science fiction author James Trafford March, who owed money to the IRS. His, his earnings were frozen. So again, where we find out that these people are missing, but it's almost like they're they're not missing. I mean, they're you know they they you know almost like they found something that would allow them to escape their troubles. And then, you know, obviously, this will play out um, further on as we as we get into to the next several issues. Well, I guess that about wraps it up for this issue, guys. Huh? <laughs> that's, that's pretty much it. It's about the smoothest segue I could come up with. It's <laughs> <laughs> a pretty darn good segue. Yeah. I'll do what I can. Eight, eight issues. We're two-thirds of the way there, gentlemen. Yeah, good job. Two-thirds. Get yourself a cookie out of petty cash. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, four more to go. Week, yep. And next week, it will be Hard Boiled. The Frank Miller graphic novel so if anybody has a chance to pick it up wants to read along please do so prepare your minds to be blown <laughs> <laughs> yes it will be Dan's inaugural <laughs> episode oh man he will be uh, in charge he will be, he will be forced to say things <laughs> oh god no you will actually have to talk <laughs> oh no <laughs> Good thing there's not a lot of dialogue in that book, then. <laughs> okay, if you want to comment on anything we anything we uh, say or do here on Legion of Dudes, please send us an email at comments at legionofdudes.com or join us in the half-hour wasted forums on the greatest geek gathering on the internet, thecomicforums.com. We'll be back next week with Hard Boiled, Jeff Darrow and uh, Frank Miller. Dan will be running that one. That will be exciting. We'll see you then for my friends in the Legion of Dudes. Have a nice evening. Happy Thanksgiving. Good night. Good night.